this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's the places you go. Uh, one of the places, Jay, that we have gone many a time is Australia. Not in person, but in checking out albums and we're doing so again one of the joys of doing this this podcast is uh our new adventures in in australia yes and often the reason why we're doing it is because of our australian correspondent down under i've learned so many new terms thanks to him uh based on this album i learned the term yabo (laughs) (laughs) which we'll get into Welcome oh, back, Gavin. You say the term. No worries. Yeah, welcome. Um, I was expecting you to say the term "get a dog up," yeah, but yeah, that's a one for down the track. That I saw that on a on a T-shirt on the Cosmic <laughs> Psychos uh, website. Well, <laughs> so, uh, talk to people. Tell tell people the album that you've selected. I I kind of spoiled it there a little bit, but the album you selected and um, why you selected it. Um. Okay. So the album I selected is Cosmic Psychos, "Blokes You Can Trust." Um, selected that album because it's early '90s. I, I tend to dwell in the early '90s more than the than the later. I think it's where the more interesting stuff happened. Where while we were still figuring out what was happening, um, chose this one because I think it shows it's another link. I think that um, unless you were here, people kind of missed between you know, well, on the way to grunge. Basically, um, I think this is a band that is important in that story and time frame and is. Well, largely unrecognized outside of you know, this island, basically. Yeah. Now, Jay, had you ever heard of the Cosmic Psychos? No, I, I had not even seen an album cover, seen, heard the name. It was totally new to me. I couldn't even have told you when you sent this in, Gavin, and like kind of looking at it. I couldn't even have told you when it was released. It could have been like 1976 and it could have been mm. 1998. Like I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same way. I think I might have just read the name when there was like a list of bands from Australia that were not well known in the United States that were like the scientists and, you know, these Mm. bands that were influential on American bands, but not necessarily successful in the United States. But other than that, I didn't I didn't know anything about this band. Luckily, there's a documentary called Blokes You Can Trust which we'll, we'll probably talk about here uh, during this episode. But it's um, a good primer for sort of getting into the history of all this. It's on YouTube for free, actually. You can go on there and watch it. Or you can, I think you can, if you want to watch it on your TV, you don't want to watch it on your computer or your phone, you could go uh, to Amazon. I think you can stream it there as well and some other places. So... Let's do a little history of the band, just so people are, are, are aware. History of the band. What's, what's your knowledge of their backstory, Gavin? 
Um, well, for me, the, the I discovered them by I was going to be fourteen or so, listening to PBS, which is one of the lo- you know, local radio stations, um, punk show at night, um, and they just back announced some songs. And there was there was a song by the Cosmic Psychos and a song by a band called More Fun Than an Open Casket Funeral. Um, and for obvious reasons, both those names just stick in the head of a fourteen-year-old. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I sort of followed it up and. Uh, they were kind of a staple. They were Victorian. I was in Victoria, um, and they were a staple on the scene. Any sort of – they were either the support to a band that came from overseas or the um, minor league overseas bands, of which, say, Blink-182 was one at the time, used to support them. Um, but, yeah, they, they were just kind of the backbone of everything that was going on. It was just – they were just a constant um, and a bit of a cultural – issue in the underground scene insofar as the, the T-shirt that we just spoke of is a, is a design of a Twisties packet. I don't know if you've got Twisties. That's a bag of chips, basically. Um, so they, they'd already moved into their merch. Well, they had merch, and it looked like something else. So they were already kind of doing something in that regard. Um, my knowledge is that they were um, country people um, and just sort of doing the, the usual punk backstory of, oh, well, we heard some music, so we thought we'd have a go. We didn't really know how to play, um, and we figured it out as we went. All right. So let me give you some, like, uh, dates, because people like dates. So the band formed in 82 in Melbourne. Pete Jones on guitar and vocals, Steve Morrow on lead vocals, Neil Turton Lane on bass, and Bill Bill Walsh on drums and vocals. And... They recorded a track called American Hymn for a compilation. And then later that year, they had lineup changes. Ross Knight came in on bass and lead vocals, and both Steve Morrow and Neil Turton Lane left the band. So then went, it went from a four-piece to a three-piece. Um, and they released a uh, cassette called Custom Credit. After that, the first studio album is... Their self-titled Cosmic Psychos, that's in 1987. And then, and we'll get into it, the first, I think, sort of American, uh, you know, awareness, if you're, if you're a music listener, is probably going to be the 89 album, Go the Hack, because that's the sub-pop record, right? Yep. So if you're a sub-pop fan in 89, which is still prior to a lot of people knowing about sub pop. I mean, that's pre Nirvana breakthrough. That's like, you know, just Pacific Northwest, um, indie underground. You're getting a taste of this Australian band on the, on the label. And then after that is when we get to blokes you can trust that's released in 1991 recorded with Butch Vig at smart studios. It was the album after Nirvana that he worked on after Nevermind. So what's interesting is Nevermind had not been released yet, but so he wasn't the in-demand producer in terms of what he was going to be. So he went from, you know, this little band from Aberdeen, Seattle area to then the Cosmic Psychos. And um, that came out on the label Amphetamine Reptile, which is... um, kind of known for heavy music. I mean, it's, you know, Helmet, Killdozer, you know, those sorts of bands. 
And then the band would go on to release uh, a, a bunch more records throughout the 90s. Uh, well, two more records in the 90s. Self-Totaled in 1995. Um, oh, What a Lovely Pie in 1997. Uh, they put out a couple... They put out an EP called Palomino Pizza in 93. Um, and then in the 2000s, Off Ya Cruet yep. in 2006. Cruet. Dung Australia in 2007. What, what does dung mean in Australia? Uh, dung's poo. Oh, okay. Same thing. <laughs> I didn't know if it had a, had a different name. So, Pooh Australia. Okay. <laughs> Glorious Bastards in 2011. Come the Raw Prawn in 2015. And Loudmouth Soup in 2018. They also had a couple of live albums in 1990 and 2013. And then the compilation album, 15 Years, A Million Beers in 2001 and i do not dispute the number of beers based on the documentary that i watched that seems yeah, i was just going to mention that when you um said about um v um recorded and produced that album um because of the beers you i assume you caught on to that bit. <laughs> yeah what you only have 10 cases we're going to need 30 cases of beer but he also like they he was the only one who didn't go out with them the night before so the rest of the crew at the studio, we're all too hung over to work on the record, so he wound up having to record it and produce it, right? Um, because he was the only sober person. Yeah, it was very clever by them. Yeah, <laughs> right. plan yeah. Happened, but it kind of worked out well. Yeah, Crystal balled that one perfectly. Um, they did have some lineup changes for this album. I believe this is the album that Ross Knight comes in and plays guitar um, instead of Pete Jones, right? Uh, he would have been around before because he was actually like when you were doing. Or was that um, Go the Hack? Yeah, Go the Hack. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he was also in the band in the very early incarnations with different names from '77 onwards. Um, he was sort of in it, then out of it, and I think it was almost like whenever they were actually vaguely successful, he was like, oh, "I can't do this." Um, so yeah, I think he came back in properly at that point. And sadly, he passed away in in July of 2006, and. The drummer, uh, Bill Walsh, he was replaced in 2005 by Dean Muller, and John McKeering took over uh, on lead guitar. Was he the one who was from the Onyas? Or Anyas? Uh, yep. Uh, he he is terrifying. And... That man is terrifying. <laughs> Do you remember him from the movie, Jay? Yes, I remember that belly. <laughs> You remember him being a lawyer? I do. Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot going on there. I also remember that uh, he's he's always shirtless, so they just tape the uh, the microphone to his chest. <laughs> yeah, I saw him play. Um, he sung for someone else. I can't remember who it was. I, um, only a couple of years ago, and nothing's changed. <laughs> wow, that's he's a um, crazy person. He's a character. That's a character. Yeah. And when the he, drummer that you speak of, the replacement one, is actually from the band Hoss, who we will get to. A couple of times I've put them forward and then swapped them out at the last minute, so we'll get oh, to that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, um, well, his, I just want to point out that John McKeering's nickname is Mad Macca, hmm. which, if there was a character in a in a Road Warrior movie named Mad Macca and that guy played him, I would believe that that was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> like what the way he looks now is how that guy would look. 
the lineup change that you're speaking of there, so where you've replaced most of the band, is kind of a midpoint. So I think that's why this album that we're reviewing is actually quite difficult to get your hands on. Um, so everything pre that is what I would call you know, the classic lineup. There was almost, and there's a bit in the doco where they say, um, I think it was Mark Arm said to them, I'll play some of your funny songs. And he turned around and went, well, we don't have any funny songs. What are you on about? You know, Because um, they, they weren't aware that they were effectively writing joke songs, whereas once that incarnation of the band existed, the, the current one, um, I think they're very, very aware that it's tongue-in-cheek most of the time and they play that up. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, this album has not been reissued, uh, which... I would think at least in Australia there would have been a reissue at some point, but it it only shows as ninety one releases for both uh, vinyl, CD, and cassette. Or yeah, vinyl, CD, and cassette. Uh, cassette being only in the U.S. from what I can see, and then um, you know LPs throughout the world, but they're yeah. hard to get a hold of. They yeah, are, especially at the moment. Yeah, like thirty forty bucks to get one of the original pressings. So we did get some comments over at Patreon. Uh, Gary Moran said, there were so many good Australian bands. It's disappointing that it took me nearly three decades to hear them. Uh, Richard Waterman said, on this episode of Dig Me Out Australia and Canada, along with the USA, I'm beginning to think that this was the holy trinity of rock, punk, and grunge in the 90s. The Brits had the indie rock and the pop side of things covered for the most part. Since I am more of a hard rock, punk, and grunge fan... Then, uh, then this album was right in my wheelhouse. I listened to the two albums, either side of this one, and found them to be even more raw and punky than this album. Also, it means the ones that came before and after. Gotcha. Um, I think that is why I enjoyed this album so much. It's more hard rock with bits of grunge thrown in. I love the guitar solos and flashes all of this album too. I listened to it on the exercise bike, and it got me in a good headspace to push through the boardroom. The production is still raw, but more immediate than uh that than the other albums favorite song is hooray fuck (laughs) i love that title um love the changes in tempo and the second part of the song when it's just a guitar assault so let's get into this record oh wait we have one person i forgot to mention this at the top we've got a new person to uh, welcome to the uh, patreon community that is Connor O'Donnell. Welcome, Connor. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, welcome. Make sure you get over. We have a Discord. Uh, is it a page? Is it a channel. Channel. They're called channels. They're called channels. That's what they're called. Uh, if you are part of our Patreon community, you can join us over there and um, talk about things. Uh, yeah. It's like a message board. <laughs> I set it up. Tim's like, um, so we're setting up a message board. It's like, well, <laughs> I guess. I guess you could say that if you're old. Is this a BBS? What's going on here? All right. <laughs> That's a bolt board system. Yeah, there you go. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about blokes you can trust. I, I'm going to say that again. Blokes you can trust. No, that's not good. <laughs> Katie's Katie's gonna hear me through the wall and Oof. yell at me for that terrible accent. Uh, yeah, that by the rough. cosmic psychos, Jay. It. I like the. Um, you can hear this is a band that works within what they have really well and makes them absolutely everything they possibly can out of it. So like, 
when you're not going to write songs that are more than two chords <laughs> um and you're a three piece and you know lyrically you know you're going to write about things that you know you know in which they do well like they know how to pull every lever they possibly can to make this sound big and heavy um both you know just from the simple uh idea of how they use fuzz on both the guitar and the, and the bass which fills up all of this space so you just get this huge sound you know for the most part they're always playing the same part too right but because it's i think the the fuzz is like completely covering the entire like sonic range like you get this huge sound even though it's you know, maybe two guitars, but it's often one guitar and bass and drums. Um, so you got this huge sound. I think, like, also vocally, like, he just, like, is confident about what he can do, and he just does that. And, you know, he doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, but it's, like, unique, and he knows how to deliver, you know, the lines, and he can write some hooky little parts here and there, especially like when they use the gang vocal technique, which is another, you know, uh, good idea for them to have these big kind of sing along, you know, uh, choruses, um, you know, dead Rue is a good example of that. Um, um, so, you know, I, I, I like the, I like that they know who they are. They're super, even though it's punky, it's not like angry. Um, it's just like confident and raw and kind of just cool, like laid back more as opposed to being like spastic. And um, even though they, you know, they might play something that's fast, it's not like it, it's more of like a kind of a cool, like almost like a, I guess the band that first came to mind when I listened to him was um, the Stooges, you know, mm-hmm. where it's, it's just like this blue collar um, take on punk, which is as opposed to kind of like the bratty, I guess, or super noisy. Um, and somehow, like, even though it's really raw and, and basic, it's still musical. And a lot of times punk for me isn't. And I don't know. It This just is. And I guess in the same way the Stooges are, where it's more about like these big fuzzy, ba- like almost primal riffs and drums that are really well locked in, um, beefy sounding. So yeah, I just, I like that they know who they are. They know what their limitations are, but they don't, that's not an excuse for them. Not like making the, like the best music they can make, if that makes sense. Um, and, um, I can definitely hear the influence this had on, on grunge and a lot of the, you know, sub pop bands in the early nineties uh, and late eighties Seattle sound. Um, I mean, the documentary makes that crystal clear, um, you know, a band like L seven, for example, taking, you know, literally like ripping off one of their songs, <laughs> um, which we can get to, but uh, you know, I think that is also a part of this that was really made it, an interesting listen uh, for not for me, not ever having heard this band before to kind of like take, take me back to that, that time um, and have a different understanding of sort of what that was all about. And I think this is a good sort of like 
raw ingredient to all of that. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff here. Did you get a Motorhead vibe? Yeah, he definitely, um, I think between the bass tone and sort of the some of the vocal approach that he takes is a little Lemmy-esque. I think back to school, I, I heard Stooges and Lemmy. Those were my first two notes right mm-hmm. away. Yeah, I agree with you in in terms of I I really like that this band knows what they want to do and how to deliver it in terms of keep it simple. They didn't add anything that wasn't necessary. There's no, you know, they could have indulged and added organs or piano or done something and I think it would have taken away from the fact that this is just three guys who know how to like lock in on some pretty killer fuzzed out riffs. And like you said, the Stooges and you can hear the primal origins of grunge in the terms of like mud honey and totally get why that band would be friendly with, with this band because of that same sort of, stripped down to the bone rock and roll approach that a band like the Stooges had. And it's, I think it's a really fascinating listen in that respect, because if you take this and and you were to say, this band is really important to grunge and you play for someone who only knows of grunge in terms of Pearl Jam and Nirvana Uh and, and Stone Temple Pilots, they would be like, what? Because they've heard the polished end of that. They don't know what sort of led to all that. So us hearing it and going, oh, okay, I totally get where the connection is to how that all came about. And I can understand how, you know, the the earlier album, Go the Hack, that came out in 89, that's right in the wheelhouse of where, you know, Sub Pop was, was starting to, really put something together and hearing then this and them working with, you know, one of the sonic architects in a way of with Butch, Butch Vig. Um, it's really interesting. And it's, it's also like just a fun record to listen to. It's just big yeah. and loud. And I just got in a, just a very basic enjoyment out of listening to it because it's it's also short. I mean, this is a CD era and it's a 33 minute long record, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's that's almost unheard of. So that was definitely for me like one of the highlights because this record goes by real fast and it's really easy to, to listen to a 
couple times in a row. Um, so Gavin, let me ask you, what works best for you on this record? Well, for me, this is kind of a portal into the, all this kind of music. So what works better? Like when I went back and listened to it, I was a little bit concerned to how you guys would, would hear the lyrics. So I think the music's, the music's fine. Um, but the lyrics can sound a little bit dumb um, or basic. Um, you referred to them as being um, confident, uh, confident in their vocals, etc. But I, I hear it more as they just don't care. Um, like it wouldn't have mattered if they thought it sounded bad. It was like, okay, this is how I sing. So bugger yep. it, you know. Um, so uh, highlights for me. Um, well, yeah, this, this sort of took me from – so this is the era for me. You're moving from hair rock to um, alternative slash grunge, and this is one of the bands that said, hey, stop looking over there, look over here. You, know, you don't need all this – we don't need all this excessive crap going on to make you know good music. And obviously at the time I'm pretty young, so the lyrics were – yeah, they were in my wheelhouse at the time. Like I said, when I listen to it now, um, like I was um, playing it at home the other day, and I'm, you know, Kelly's listening to it, and she's like, oh, "This is just dumb," you know. Um, <laughs> when they're singing, you know, "Do do do the dead rue," you know. <laughs> but I don't know because I've got an association with it. I was concerned as to how people might listen to it if the first time you hear it, you're, you know, around forty years old. You know, um, how does that sound? But yeah, for me, it's just it's a. Um, it's just a joy to come back to and, you know, revel in. It's great that they're still going around, um, still doing it. Well, and I, I think, you know, in watching the documentary, which I would encourage people to do if, if they hear the clips from this record and they, and they want to check it out. Um, I think what was so interesting is, I mean, they have a kind of an understanding of like, from the beginning, we're not that good a player so we're going to rely on just our, like Jay said, like this confidence of like, we're just going to get up and do it and have fun. And in a lot of ways, like lyrically speaking, I didn't feel it was that far off from say like ACDC, you know, in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a little, probably a little bit more vulgar. <laughs> than, and also lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Bon Scott had some pretty lighthearted lyrics. In, in mm, if you think about yeah. some of the stuff that he did, like you know, big balls. I mean, big come balls, on, yeah. how can you talk, yeah. you take that seriously? Yeah. Um, but it was definitely more lighthearted than than the Stooges. I mean, the Stooges is pretty could be pretty dark stuff when mm. you listen to that. And um, this just had a you know a very down to earth. I thought it was really interesting when they, when they talked about like uh, Ross Knight not wanting to go tour, bec- you know, because he was afraid of traveling to the to the UK, and because he was basically like a farm boy. Mm. Yet when you you know when you see him now, he's this like <laughs> weightlifting dad with you know. <laughs> Naked I mean, he's, on stage he's a with tough a beer dude. can. Yeah, he's on the yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're like, oh, that guy got nervous? Like, that's that's astounding to me. But, yeah, there's, uh, I think there's a lot of, you know, Mudhoney had sense of humor about what they were doing. I mean, there's definitely, I think there's a difference between having a sense of humor and being a joke. And they're definitely not a joke band, but they definitely have a sense of humor, which is a very specific thing that if you cross over from one to the other, it can be hard to, to go yeah. back. 
I was, I was interested to hear the bands that you guys, I was really waiting to hear what um, the bands that you guys associated with them. I didn't put the Stooges in there, but I absolutely hear it. Motorhead is, I think Motorhead's a very clear one. Um, the one that um, seems to go missing, and I always talk about this, in particular this album in the in the start of grunge, but I think Black Flag Damaged is a grunge album. And I think if you take, and it's kind mm. of half serious, half jokey, that was them transitioning from being, uh, you know, a kind of a jokey band to, you know, political or more political anyway. So if you take something like TV Party off Damaged, that, that could be on this album. Oh, yeah. I can, I can hear that. Yeah, there that level that sense of humor that like humor but with a satirical bent. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can get that. The other one which obviously can't have like can't have been an influence because it came after this, but the the first song on this um back at school, the guitar through that because I there's a fair bit of it. Um sounds like um Ministry Jesus built my hot rod in places. There's a real um, the, hmm. that um, sort of thing going on in there, which, and I obviously, this comes before that, so I'd never associate it. But when I put this on, I'm like, oh god, there's a bit of Jesus built my hot rod in this. I've got one. Yeah. That. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not sure you guys would have heard. So, loser, particularly the chorus, reminded me a lot of the Runaways. The Runaways. Yeah. Huh. So go back and listen to that chorus. Like, he even yeah. says a line about, like, uh, something about can't go home, gotta stay in school. And it sounds like the lyric from that Runaway song. It also made me then start to think about like the Donnas too and like the early Donna stuff. And just in the way that that chorus is done for both of those bands, it's like this laid back kind of, it's like punky, but it also just has this kind of like laid back, confident, like hook to it that I think those bands are uniquely did um, that I pick up here as well, even though it's like, you know, in every other way, this band couldn't be more different, but there's still like this, I don't know, just that sense of confidence and sort of just like, you know, we're doing punk and this is the way I sing. And like, I'm not going to scream like this is just my voice. I'm going to do my best to like, you know, try to make a song I think is, you know, cookie and fun. You know, it just kind of has that same spirit to it um, that I that I really uh, was drawn to. But yeah, that was a an odd band that it took me a minute. I was like, God, this is like, sounds really familiar to another song. And then I started putting the pieces together and it took me back to the runaways. 
That's oh, funny. I've got that separated out as well um, because I think that's Bill singing on that song. It's it's definitely the, uh, not um, not the same singer as most songs, and yeah. to me it sounds more like a straight up and down, you know, sort of pub pub pub, pub rock sort of song than the others. Yeah. Not as fuzzy, yeah. Yeah, that was giving me like musically, and and not necessarily his vocal, but the the melody was giving me like early Fu Manchu vibes. Mm. Yeah. And I got that from a lot of this record. Not not all the songs, but there was definitely like the way that they layer guitars with that big fuzzed bass and then having that, you know, fuzz lead on top of it. A lot of that reminded me of what Fu Manchu sounded like um, in the 90s. And, uh, you know, I can hear this, in you know, as in some way connected to not just Seattle, but because of that big fuzz tone bass, also having a connection to the stoner and desert rock scenes, because those are all about that fuzz, fuzzed out low end. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think the other two, you know, because if, if we're talking grunge and Seattle, the other two that stand out of uh, obviously the Melvins um, are in the wheelhouse here, and Tad is probably the other one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Did you? I noted down um, Buzz from the Melvins' um, description of how this band sounds to him. Did you note note that down? Or no, what, what, I remember him saying something, but what was it? He described it as late seventies punk rock played through a stereo inside the muffler of a car being dragged down the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard that and went, "Yeah, that's about it." Yeah, that's that's perfectly. I was actually. Sh- I mean. I shouldn't be shocked, but when you put the headphones on, there's really great separation. You can hear everything. Yeah, yeah. This is really well recorded. I mean, for this kind of music, this is like really well produced and engineered. Um, And I think for me, that elevates it above a lot of other bands that might sound like this, or it's one of the elements of it's just produced so well. Just. It, I've listened to it in different headphones, and it sounds good no matter what I listen to it in. And it's not fatiguing. A lot of time, music like this for me, it'll be like, okay, you know, thirty minutes, and I'm like, okay, my ears are like done at this point. But you can hear everything. And uh, let's talk about the guitar a little bit. Yeah. I, I was also like, you know, on the surface, you get sucked in by like, okay, there's big fuzzy riffs and kind of these like really basic but also effective vocals and choruses but there is some really cool guitar stuff going on here um particularly like when he just solos or just for parts of songs will just like wail <laughs> like with a wah-wah pedal and like effects that you wouldn't typically hear maybe or expect to hear in music like this um you know just I'm really surprised um, sort of by the level of ability from a guitar standpoint, but also just, you know, it's fairly unique. Like I, there's not a lot of bands that I can think of that can go for that, like a super primal fuzzed out two chord, you know, song, but also, you know, do a 45 second guitar wailing guitar solo. <laughs> um, what did you guys uh, think about in terms of the guitar? 
Yeah, I guess what, what you – I mean, some of the sounds that you're talking about are probably where I was referencing the ministry thing. I guess that's me saying, yeah. wow, coming back to it, it's, it's way more intricate and um, sort of skillful, I guess, or musical yeah. than yeah. what I originally thought. When you first listen to it, you think, okay, this is just um, a bunch of fuzz and some, like you say, two chords, you yeah. know, simple stuff. But then you, when you really listen to it, yeah, there's some stuff – There's yeah, there's some good stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, you're like, wow, that, that's a legit, like, you know, hot guitar solo. Going on there that like at first I did had noticed because there's just this like onslaught of like sound, but then as you start to break it down, you're like, that's that's a pretty good solo. Well, in uh, Do It to Me, that reminded me of like an early helicopters vibe. Yeah, even the solo. Mm. I was getting that because if you listen to, um, yeah. you know, pay the dues and, and those early records, they're very fuzzed out, super shitty super to the sure. max, which is one of the greatest album titles of all time. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely hear. I had a note somewhere in here as well around um, this band definitely sounds like one of the ingredients to the action rock scene too, like the Scandinavian mm-hmm. action rock stuff that wasn't grunge, but still like, you kind of understand the the elements of this band like you can look at those two different scenes like sweden and seattle and like you know fairly different sounds at the end of it but like can both be traced back to a band like this um in terms of sonically songwriting yeah some of those guitar riffs are you know kind of basic action rock staples Right, just I've, combined I've with like MC5 and yep. yeah, yeah. I've got them having a finger in the pie of the gunk punk scene as well. Yeah, yeah. Which um, so what what that sort of became? Yeah, with the with like the like Turks, the new bomb Turks. Yeah, yep. yep, definitely. So Jay, what doesn't work for you on this? I think this is a like adrenaline shot, you know. So driving in the car or you're working on something you really just like need some energy like this is a you know a fuzzy shot of adrenaline um so it's not the kind of record like i don't think i'm gonna listen to like three times in a row at least you know now that i've kind of got it it's more of like you know you need a hit or a punch to the face to wake up (laughs) (laughs) and you turn this on and it's like 30 minutes of just you know pure fire and then you know you 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 probably really move on to something else so in that way i guess it's um there's some depth here but largely i think it's um once you get the sound and sort of the overall feel for it 
it, it's kind of one note. It's just one note done really well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that would be my only criticism of it. Um, you know, for me, I couldn't have a diet of this all the time. Uh, you know, there's a couple songs on here that aren't as, aren't as strong as other others. It's kind of just get into very like basic punk, you know, format and phrasing and not much going on from a core standpoint, but you know, those are few and far between like never grow old. Like it's okay. Uh, there's a couple others that are, you know, what is probably the weakest song for me on the record. I thought what leans a bit towards the SoCal punk sound. Yeah. As well there. Yeah. So that, that's really it. Just, you know, I mean, it's not like 10 killer songs. It's probably to me like six to seven really good songs um, that work really good in this format. Um, and then there's just the sound overall is, you know, it's, it's uh, good in small doses. I concur with you. This is not an album I withdrew on all the time. Like it's got to have its place. Uh, Cause it's, it's so specific in terms of its sound and if like <laughs> if you're in the wrong company, no, you're going to get like looked at, like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's not dinner party music. Right. Well, I even just, I had it on in my office and my daughter walked in and <laughs> I'd immediately turn it down. So I'm like, Oh, this is not child appropriate. <laughs> but that said, I agree with you on the, you know, there's really there's like six or seven really tight cool songs and then just a couple that are okay there's not anything that's like embarrassingly bad so that's a rarity in the in in terms of 90s albums usually there's some but again it's only a 10 song record and it's 33 yep. minutes so they they really kept it tight is there anything that doesn't work for you, Gavin? I, I, I find, particularly if I'm trying to recommend it to somebody, I, I find it lyrically a bit challenging. It's hard to, even <laughs> as myself, and then songs get stuck in my head, like the dead room. You, know, you, you get the lyric, it was bigger than a cow, it was smaller than a cat, gets stuck in your head, and you feel like you're at play school. <laughs> and yet it doesn't go out of your head. Yeah. Um, so lyrically it hasn't aged well. I think lyrically it, it absolutely... Um, says this is when it was and more and even more so than that it says how old we were when we made it um other than that i I love it um and like i said the lyrics don't bother me because i was age appropriate for them at the time but now if i recommend it to somebody i'm like okay listen to this and just understand that this is a link to the music you like (laughs) you don't have to like this music but without this that didn't exist yeah that's a good point I, I don't know how many people are really open to that perspective. Hopefully the people that are listening to the podcast are, but outside well, the of people who made the music work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, when you're with, making a doco about a tiny Australian band and you get Eddie Vedder and dropping coins out of his bum. Um, that was pretty impressive. It must've meant something. <laughs> um, they actually have a lyric in one of their um, later songs where the chorus is, um, I'm so bored. I'm having lunch with Eddie Vedder. Um. <laughs> I I like that they are completely okay with just like 
ripping on each other. Like the fact that Bill Walsh left the band and then the next album, there was a song called Kill Bill. <laughs> like that's pretty funny. Mm. Um, I assume then also because of the fact we mentioned it earlier, um, L7 basically borrowed the song um, Lost Cause to write the song what was it? Fuel my fuel my fire. Fuel yeah. my fire. And then later, the prodigy covered that, which I guess was on, you know, Fat of the Land, which sold like ten, twenty, whatever million copies of that record. So they had to make a couple bucks mm. because of the songwriting credit, I would assume. Yeah, well, they promoted it as you know they put up the headline of the you know your unknown millionaires, but I'm pretty sure that when they were talking about the phone call between, was it Danita, um, when she was like, oh, we um, accidentally ripped off your song, and he was like, oh, don't worry about it. So I'm not sure they actually got the credit. Well, I think, so I think it, there was some kind of... According to um, the Prodigy credit in the, in the... It says it's credited to Danita Sparks, Walsh, Knight, and Jones. Oh, there you go. So she did give them the credit you know, I mean, for them, it was probably, you know, it wasn't a big deal for Dina Sparks because it was like, oh, it's an album track on one of our records. And, mm. you know, how many how, how many albums were L7 selling in the 90s? I mean, I know they did well, but it wasn't like they were selling 14, 15 million copies. Like it was a couple hundred thousand. So she probably didn't think anything of it on, you know, in retrospect, if she had not. <laughs> uh done that she would have gotten a hundred percent of that instead of 25 percent of that so i guess my point a, is um, don't credit people <laughs> wait for them to see you yeah wait for them to see you uh, make them prove it it's better to, to beg for a minute beg forgiveness than to ask permission That's... i'll give you an um l7 and um you were saying earlier they don't add anything that doesn't need to be there um i'll give you a story about that um they were on a multiple bill concert here called Alternative Nations. So that was the headline was Nine Inch Nails, Tool, Faith No More. So they were the big bands. The small band, that was the first time I ever heard Pennywise at that, um, which was pretty cool. But they had a small band called Live playing as well, who were just about to take off with, um, was it Throwing Copper? So this is that album would have been out, but it wasn't anything at the time. And so they were on like the third or fourth stage on an indoor stage, but it was raining. So everyone was indoors. So L7 played, because L7 played with the Cosmic Psychos a lot of the time because they were married. Um, and then Live came on after them, and this was pretty stripped back. So Live came on, they took like 45 minutes to get their instruments you know, tuned and plugged in and all the rest of it, and Cosmic Psychos were on next, and the crowd was getting really fed up with it. And basically the moment Live got to um, where their set was supposed to finish, so the psychos just walked on the stage and chucked them off the stage, unplugged their instruments and told them to bugger off and just plugged straight into what their setup was and played. <laughs> like, not... That's awesome. That is, mm. that is amazing. Is there a video of that? What's that? Yeah, I need to see video of that. Please. <laughs> yeah, probably. I wouldn't have a clue. But, yeah, and it was, it was exactly what it needed. The place had got it. Like, they just live didn't fit the bill um, at all. You know, and so the place was like ready to sort of. Well, everyone was getting the shits with it, and they just yep. they captured the moment, and just went get off. We're, we're going to get this right. That's awesome. 
How are they? How are they live? I was um kind of surprised on the record that there seems to be a lot of overdubs, like a lot of second guitars, third guitars, um, at least enough to you know kind of fill out the sound when he's soloing. Well, how does that work out live? Personally, they're better live. Um, really? The lyrics, well, the lyrics don't because they disappear into the mix a bit more, so mm-hmm. it doesn't seem as silly. Like when the lyrics are quite clear, they like again they sound a bit play schooly. So when they just drift into being almost um, part of the um, melody of, of the songs, um, it's better, and the, the sound is just huge. I mean, they can fuzz that out live, you know, and it's just it's just a massive sound. And but you're always, I mean, they're just um, it's particularly the early concerts, it was always a complete mess. There's people stage diving, there's, um, you know, they're yelling at the bouncers because the bouncers are chasing people around. It was that kind of vibe, so, yeah. (laughs) Um, Are we surprised that this is a band that did not break through in 1991, that this was not the Nevermind level (laughs) of success? Uh, I can't imagine that it it would find a place. No, but... I think this band, like, I remember at that time, I mean, you still, like, I knew who Tad was and, you know, basically all of the bands that were around Nirvana um, Ascend that were either from Seattle or had a similar sound or on similar labels or even like an L7 or, you know, there was a ton of bands like that that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that they at least didn't make it to that level in terms of notoriety um, that, that they, I do a nineties podcast for God's sake. And I have never heard (laughs) this band. Like, how is that possible? Right. And when I watched that documentary and it was like, okay, yeah, I mean, Eddie Vedder's like in half of that documentary, um, King Bozo's in a lot of it, L sevens in a bunch of it. Like, how is it that, you know, despite all of these bands liking them, them being on Sub Pop, being on touring the U.S., touring Europe a ton, apparently, like, how is it possible that they at least didn't crack through to la- that level um, here? I, I think that comes down to the lyrics again. So the the song that was that you just spoke about, which became an L7 song, which became a Prodigy song, Lost Cause, that's probably the, about the only one that can really get there. Um, other than that, it's very like all the bands you're talking about. If you go, okay, so L7 broke on the back of Pretend We're Dead, which is much slower, yeah. um, and has that you know sort of that imagery that people were gravitating to at the time. Um, normal radio, you know, just um, FM radio can gravitate to some Nirvana songs and not others. Um, what well, I mean, what's there's no there's no song on this album you'd pick out as being the song, and it's because of the lyrics, the music. If you change the lyrics, which, you know, what was you saying L7 and Prodigy did, then you can play it. But yeah. the lyrics are either too crass or too dumb or whatever to actually break into mainstream radio. It's pigeonholed. Well, and let's talk about the other. I think you touched on a little bit there, which is it's real is even in this scene, which was about like being dirty and like come as you are, whatever, you know, don't be a rock star like they don't look like L7. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Ross has a mullet, and the drummer looks like you know he's bald. He's has male pattern baldness in his twenties. Like, they do not look like in any shape, way, or form, even like a scuzzy grudge band. They just look like dudes from the farm. Mm. 
Yeah, what? they didn't get changed. They just knocked off and went to the pub and started playing music. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that, that is like, even in the scene where it's supposed to be images and about, you know, what it's about. I mean, I you can't help but think like that plays a role in it. Like they don't look like White Zombie. They don't look like, you know, all these bands that were trying mm. to look scuzzy, well, you know, working at it. That They were just like regular dudes. I think that's why they connected with the musicians so well mm. is because yeah. that's what mud honey was always about and that's what you know the melvins you know those guys were all about that whereas the, it was probably more the fans like i don't think they would just connect with american fans yeah. i i have no doubt that people who worked in record stores in the united states you know at like a used kids here in columbus knew who the cosmic psychos were I have no doubt about it whatsoever. I, I bet I could go to talk to one of those guys now and they would be like, yeah, I, know, I remember them and blah, blah, blah. And probably have positive things to say. But I think it was just breaking into the the market here in terms of radio and in terms of, I mean, this record is on Amphetamine Reptile. I, other than Helmet, I, I don't know of another band off that label that made any kind of dent. And that's a and that's a big label. They have a lot of bands, but so much of that music is underground. It is not music that you're hearing on your regular FM, you know, no. alternative station, nineteen ninety one. Did you yeah, hear but, the bit too about where they were talking about Helmet when they played with Helmet? They, yeah, yeah. That was they awesome. were talking about oh, and they came in with their long shorts and their serious looks. <laughs> It was like he was like even yeah so that's as far as he was concerned that's a stage presence that's a designer you know that's a look that you're going for right and if you look at what amphetamine reptile put out the u-men gas huffer you know these are bands that if you go by back and watch the hype documentary these are the bands that are in that documentary as yeah. being the the core bands that were around when grunge was just developing in the early Eight or, or in the late 80s or bands like you know punk bands like negative approach or um what are some of the other th- ones that they have here like oh cows and you know just a brainiac was on amphetamine reptile at some point you know none of this stuff tad jesus lizard um unsane i was about to say unsane were probably the the one, but that's nowhere near a radio band. No, no. But my point is that, like, I've heard of all those bands. <laughs> <laughs> True. And, I, and I've never heard of Cosmic Psychos. True. Yeah, that's all. And that's why we're here now. That's why we're there here we now. Are, exactly. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> all right, let's get to our overall ratings on this record. We will give out the uh, final poll results over at Patreon. First, let's go around the virtual Skype room and divulge. Worthy album, better EP or decent single? Jay, where do you land? Worthy album. This was a pleasant surprise. I didn't know what I was in for between the band name and the album art. (laughs) Do with a mullet and the band called Cosmic Psychos. I was like, is this like a local release? Like, what the hell is this? Uh, But no, pleasantly surprised. I think the... Uh, production kind of brought me in um, and there's just like a there's a raw energy here that's really unique and fun and then the, the documentary helped a lot I think too just for mm-hmm. me to kind of concrete everything together um, 
where they were coming from, what the band, understanding the band better. I think like the Gavin, like the lyrics that you're talking about and just their sense of humor. And that's a little bit hard to get necessarily just from like listening to one record. So I think the movie, um, which is on YouTube and really good, it's a really good documentary, um, helped bring it all together for me and understand the record even more. I concur. I think that everything is working in this band's favor on this record. It sounds really good. It's really well produced. They know how to like find their sweet spot on most of these songs. And I think that you can enjoy this just as it is. And you can also enjoy it as a historical, you know, historically important part of the scene that we think of as grunge and, and this being connected to that. But you can also just love the fuzz bass and guitar and think that that mm. sounds good as well. Gavin. Uh, yeah, well, obviously for me, this is a, um, a solid record. Um, I think, uh, that's not the rating, sir. Excuse me. Sorry. The rating is Full worthy work. album, better EP, worthy decent album. single. Solid record. What is that? This is <laughs> we're not playing Australian rules here. Yeah, this is. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with uh, worthy album, obviously, but um, it could have been or could have been any of the early incarnation albums that I put forward of this of the psychos. It's more worthy band. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Get to know the band. The documentary is probably more important than the album at this point because it it inserts them into the system rather than like, – if you only listen to this album, then it doesn't necessarily gel properly. But if you get where they're coming from and where they sat in the scene, um, I think that's the important part. So worthy album, worthy band, worthy episode. And our voters agree, 100% worthy album on Patreon. That's never happened before. And Gavin oh. was not the only voter. <laughs> there was more than one vote, so I can try. I can tell you that that was a legitimate uh, vote there. So, I guess we can trust these blokes to deliver <laughs> some some real solid, fuzzed out rock and roll, punk punkish rock and roll. I'm I'm still conflicted as whether they're a punk band or if they're just a heavy rock band. Uh, there's, they seem to teeter on the edge based on which whatever song they're in, whatever song they're doing. I think they would have been pushed over into being a legit punk band had Guns N' Roses covered one of their songs on the Spaghetti Incident. <laughs> Without that, they're probably just a rock band. Uh, <laughs> good point. There you go. Gavin, once again, thank you for coming back and sharing this uh, very interesting find with us. We're glad that we have both been exposed to this record because um, it's uh, it's brightened our day. <laughs> it's made us it's made everything uh, a little bit brighter. And um, we have you to thank for that. So we look forward to what was the band that you haven't suggested, but you think you're going to suggest at some point? What was their name? Uh, that's Hoss. But yeah, Hoss. we're not getting to them this year. We're getting to um, Rakane which is a pretty severe left turn from this. I look forward to that as one of your uh, contractually obligated picks <laughs> for each year. Uh, you have three. And um, 
so we'll look for Haas next year, which is a great name for an Australian, mm. I assume, heavy rock band. If they're not, I'm going to be wildly disappointed. Just let you know that right now. Okay. <laughs> and thanks for recommending the documentary. I do. I, I agree with Jay. That made a huge impact, not only in terms of like understanding this band, but just getting their placement proper or getting their how they were placed in the grunge scene properly like explained. That was really interesting and helpful. It's kind of- it's kind of like uh, when you go see a band live, you have a different appreciation for a record. And I feel like by sometimes when you see a documentary, um, it can kind of give you the same context. Yeah. Gives you something else to grab onto. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a super interesting story. Like it's not a typical, I didn't think it was a typical like rock band story. There's a lot of twists and turns and just different characters that are not, what you would expect in a rock doc. It's very character driven. <laughs> there are a lot of characters. That's the best part about it is how many characters there are. Cause they are some fascinating dudes. Um, I want to remind everyone, if you would like to suggest an album, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com. We've got a bunch of them come in recently. We appreciate it. You just go to our suggest an album page and, and drop an album in there and tell us why you're suggesting it. You can also join us at Patreon for as little as $2 a month to support the union. You can become a union member like Gavin and uh, pick a record every 12 months. He also gets cool stuff like t-shirts and stickers and access to our Discord channel. And uh, you can also sign up for our box newsletter. It's where we deliver the news to you. You don't have to come to us. We send it to you via electronic mail every week updates on new releases in music movies and books that are relevant to the music we cover on this podcast 80s and 90s and uh, one minute reviews every week as well as uh you know a calendar of releases and then um apple Podcasts. that's where you go to leave some positive feedback if you're so inclined to do so, to cover everything, Jay, was that it? Is that my outro? You got it all. all you right. nailed it. Thanks again, Gavin. I, I know it's uh, tomorrow, so enjoy your day. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's raining here, so um, we're probably going to be watching footy all day. Which kind of footy? <laughs> AFL. So, okay. Yeah, Australian rules, the confusing one. Gotcha. An oval field. I got to go understand this. I got homework to do. You got we keep getting Jay. told here that it's huge on TV over there while during COVID that you were all watching it and thought it was hilarious. So, I've been watching mini golf <laughs> and marble racing. <laughs> yes. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.